I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the wonderful series, A Friend of the Family. We are joined today by showrunner Nick Antosca, along with president of Universal Content Productions and Universal International Studios, Beatrice Springborn. And, and Beatrice, and starting with you, I wanted to talk about the way in which this series was such a wonderful way to really expand upon the conversation of this story already, because obviously we have the documentary, which is how a lot of people were initially introduced to and, and learned about Jan Brobuxter and her family, and they've continued to create a lot of dialogue since that film came out. And so how did you see the form of episodic storytelling as a way to really further and continue that? Yeah, I think the fascinating thing about a documentary is you're getting a very factual portrait of what a story is about and not really getting inside the characters' heads or understanding their point of view. And especially with a story like this, when you're dealing with something so sensitive, when there is a young victim at the, at the heart of it, to really get inside her head and understand her point of view and bring that to life with a more cinematic, visceral palette, as Nick did, um, has, I think, helps bring it to life in a way that makes it more accessible and also brings the story to a place we haven't seen before. And, and Nick, there's a lot of nuance in telling a story like this because this was this was a pattern of grooming that went on over the course of several years. And that's really reflected and felt in the fact that you had so much time to spend on screen with Jan and with her family as characters. Um, and I was interested in, in how you approached kind of creating the narrative arc of how you were going to represent this on screen with that in mind and thinking about where do we really want to sit in a specific time period where a lot was happening? Where does it feel okay? to kind of move the story forward, but still never having it feel rushed because there's a lot of delicacy to that as well. Yeah, well, it starts with immersion, right? We had a ton of research. Um, we had access to Jan's diaries. Uh, we had access to the FBI reports. And most importantly, we had access to Jan and to the Broberg family and their blessing and collaboration in telling the story. So um, after spending more than a year really deeply in their world and in their experience, um, we had internalized it to such a degree that we kind of uh, were able to empathize with what they had been through. And then um, I sat down and wrote a very detailed kind of roadmap of the season. And that's what we went into the writer's room with. And then we, we sort of discussed, you know, what do we need to condense? What do we need to um, uh, explore more deeply? Um, and it just was a process of, of working with the writers and talking to Jan constantly to, to tell the story. I mean, I love what you're describing there in terms of, of Jan's involvement. And she was so heavily involved in, and I know that she would be sent scripts and come back with notes of, you know, our family maybe would have said this in this way, you know, even when it came to representing the Mormon community and just elements of dialogue and, and her memories and, and reflections. Um, and, and for both of you, did you kind of always envision that she was going to have that level of involvement? Was that always something that was important to everybody from the get-go? Or was it kind of the more questions you asked, the more she was just coming and bringing to the table? Well, was, the show was contingent on, on her being involved. And there was no way we were going to tell the story if she and the family weren't um, uh, passionate about the story being told in this way. So they had been involved in the documentary. And, um, and I think that the reaction to the documentary, which is a lot of people saying, you know, understandably, I guess, um, how could this happen? And they, these parents, you know, made these decisions that uh, I would never make. Um, I think that 
took them by surprise a little bit because they lived this experience. And so they understand the context and um, they wanted to wanted an opportunity to tell the story in even greater depth um, and to tell it with that kind of uh, more immersive context than you can possibly get in a 90 minute documentary because there are so many twists and turns in the stories that if if you condense it in 90 minutes, um, and I want to say the documentary I think is fantastic, but it's it, it's like, oh my God moment after oh my God moment. And with nine episodes to tell the story, there's more of that real life context to, to understand why they made those decisions. And I, and I think you bring up such a great point in terms of, of the audience response. And what's so fascinating with this story in particular is there are elements in it that feel like they were crafted, like they were created for a narrative. The fact that part of his grooming was talking to her and convincing her, we're part of an extraterrestrial mission and we can't tell anybody. And that was how he kept the secrecy. Um, you know, and you have to contextualize it in terms of the time period where this was all taking place as well. And so what were some of the conversations for both of you that, that were happening in the development stage of how do we tell a story which really acknowledges the truth of the more heightened elements that were completely real, completely factual, and make sure that the audience really understand and connect to the emotional side of that? I mean, I'll, I'll just say for us, you know, it's a, it's a tough subject matter. And as we were talking to Peacock and we were talking to Nick, what we really wanted to understand is what is the anatomy of, of how a grooming happens and how do we see that happen piece by piece? Because it doesn't happen overnight, right? It is something that, you know, as Nick showed in his episodes, every episode, you're understanding why the parents were open to this, why there was the perfect context for this to happen, why it was a certain time and place that added to that grooming. And so to have that as an audience, you start to understand that like you're leaning in and saying and having the point of view a bit of the parents and seeing how they responded to it. And it was important to us to understand that little by little, there was a chipping away that it didn't just happen overnight, that they weren't just, you know, um, complicit in this. And I think we were able to do that by bringing those details that Jan had you know, shared with us, shared with Nick and shared with us and, and also consulting with experts, right? We, we, and you guys had a huge group of experts working with us to make sure that we were handling this delicately and doing it in a way that was bringing the victim's POV into it, which I don't think is done very often. And, and true, and true stories are based on true, true, true stories. And, you know, talking a little bit more about the, the time period and, and the community in terms of that contextualization, you know, the, the Brobergs also were part of a religious community that was very much about openness and, and trust and welcoming people in. Um, and that played a part into how he was able to groom not only Jan, but also her parents and even just the aspect of shame that came with admitting any of this to anyone around them. Um, and I know that, again, Jan was very involved in a lot of the details that you wanted to bring into the show in terms of that side of things. And so how did she really help help you to shape such an authentic representation of that aspect of the story? Yeah, it was incredibly important to Jan that we not portray the Mormon faith and the community simplistically. And it was really important to us too. So first of all, we had Jan and we could run everything by her and she would flag certain things um, and say, you know, we might say it this way, or this is why we made this choice. Uh, we also had a Mormon writer in the writer's room, and uh, we did our research. I mean, you have 
you know, uh, as a writer, you have the tools, imagination, empathy, and research. And we made sure that when we were portraying the community, we didn't want it to seem, we didn't want it to be possible for the audience to say like, oh, well, this happened because they were Mormons. You know, it, it's, uh, this man would have found a different tool to use if he didn't have, you know, the elements of the Mormon faith uh, to, to use against them that he did. You know, the stories of aliens and, and angels and all this. Um, and, and we wanted to show that the same values that he used to manipulate them were the values that they used to survive what happened to them. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've heard you, Nick, kind of describe the show as a psychological horror. Um, and so how did you all even just find that that specific tone and, and voice? And was it something that you all, all were having conversations about, about even just in terms of telling the story, what's the right tone and approach to this? I can say from my perspective as a viewer, even as a parent, to see that episode where you're seeing the way that B looks at Jan, right? And even just the, the way that we shot it, right? And the way that He's looking at her from across the room. And if you didn't know what was going on, you'd go, oh, this is just a friendly look or glance. But I think it was just even in the way that he smiled or broke down um, defenses with body language, like that definitely to me hit me in the pilot was just how we were able to do that in such a subtle way where it was like a, a friendly, warm gesture. And then that starts to evolve and devolve, right? And so I think it's even in the way that you guys shot that which was done so brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, that's Eliza, Eliza Hitman, our director. Um, and that was, you know, something we talked about from the very beginning, that that kind of uh, moment is in the script and Eliza really brought it out beautifully in the sense that this is inherently a psychological horror story, right? Like you, you can't kind of dial it up too much or have it feel exploitative. You just kind of subjectively but not with with too much intensity um, show what really happened. Right. And I, and I think what you're both saying there is such a great point in terms of how you've approached the, the sensitivity of the subject matter as well. It's, it's the way that he looks at her. It's emotionally when he compliments her or he notices certain attributes and, and qualities in her. How does that make her feel versus the physical side, which felt so important? And as a viewer, it's like you don't need to see the other side of things to understand this relationship between them and, and why she had such strong feelings of, of what to her at the time was a completely real love and relationship relationship. Um, and, and so how did you make sure that that was always the case and that was always the facet and it was always driven by the emotion and, and that there was never any inflection of anything that was ever going to be remotely exploitative? I think that started with the casting of Jake Lacey in the role. And, and you know, I think he brought a sensitivity to it and an understanding that this was a, 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 a lot of responsibility to take on. And he had to both be um, I hate the, you know, likable or, or at least empathetic and feel warm and disarming to create a character where you would understand why the, the parents would, would be susceptible to, to his ways. And I think he just did that through, um, through presenting as someone who seemed quote unquote normal, right? Um, you could talk more to the casting of him, but I know that you were really keen to yeah. and thought of him from the beginning. Well, the other thing about Jake and all of our cast is when you're dealing with subject matter this sensitive and with kid actors and with the real person there on set, you're really depending on your, your cast to 
uh, help you create an environment of safety and collaboration. And you know, Jake, especially playing that particular role, so essential. Uh, Jake, Anna, Colin, Leo, they were amazing in terms of creating a safe environment for our kid actors. And of course, McKenna is the older Jan, and then Hendrix is the younger Jan. And, and that idea of, of B as a central character in the story being something where the audience can see the empathetic aspect and understand him as a character, but not feel sympathetic to him is a really delicate balance to strike. And so in the, the writing of that character and working with Jake, how did you make sure that it was never going to ask the audience to feel any sympathy, but that we understood the empathy and the motivation of that character? Well, it was most important, I think, that we understand how the family falls for him. They fall under a spell, like you're saying. Like it, it, We have to understand that his charisma and his charm is something that if we were in their shoes, we and, and if we had been raised in that community with those values, um, we would be susceptible to that as well. And... Um, at the same time, we never wanted to let the audience go like, oh, I, you know, he, he has this condition or I sympathize with him because he actually has two. I mean, he's a pedophile. He's also a psychopath. And those aren't literally the same thing. Like he, he is a particular kind of monster. And there should be no point in the story when you are ever tempted to sympathize or empathize with him. And in terms of the of the casting, you know, you're you're touching upon the the two actresses playing Jan at different ages, and it also feels important in the experience of watching it that we really understand how young she was when this happened, and a lot of that comes through the casting. You're not casting an older actress to play younger, and so we really feel that pivotal age that she's at, those coming of age moments, even outside of the story of what's happening in terms of her relationship, uh, with her conversations early on about the importance of that for the show. Yeah, very much so. Um, that's why we cast two actors to play the role. Um, initially, we had talked about maybe there's an actress who can be aged down and aged up and play Jan from age, basically age 10 to 16, which is a hard task. Um, and Eliza also kind of, when we were casting the pilot together, made the point that you had to have an actress who was in the like 10, 11 age range to play Janet the youngest, because otherwise you wouldn't feel the enormity of what he did. You wouldn't feel the truth of what he did. And that was really, really, really important to Jan too, who said from the very beginning, you know, I wasn't like somebody who, who anybody could view as like a young temptress or something. You know, I was a child and that was so important to all of us to, to portray accurately. And in talking about Eliza Hitman directing, you know, particularly that first episode a little bit more, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the visual aesthetic of, of this show, because obviously a lot of it is informed by the archival materials. You know, you had photographs from the family home. You know, you would see the types of clothes that Jan would have been potentially wearing to inform a lot of those details. But I know that you and Eliza also kind of sat and, and talked about cinematic references, like Alice doesn't live here anymore. And so how did you land upon those ideas of visual aesthetic for a show like this in being very truthful to the time period, but also thinking, 
thinking about the visual medium of storytelling. And, you know, obviously there's aspects where you don't have archival material to know what a specific location looks like. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, uh, it's kind of a fine line because you don't want it to feel like a diorama or like a caricature of the 70s. Um, at the same time, you want it to have that texture that we all no, so we really depended a lot on the production materials and all the real stuff, the photographs that we had. And we tried to recreate their home and their life uh, as as accurately as we could. I think we did a really pretty pretty good job. Um, and then, in terms of the cinematic style, you know, yes, Alice doesn't live here anymore was a was a big reference. Um, Badlands um, and Eliza and I and the whole team tried to create a feeling in the first episode and in the third episode, which are both sort of before the kidnapping, which she also directed, um, of what the Brobergs felt like their life was like, which is like almost like a happy film or TV show from the era like they might see on, you know, uh, NBC when they turn it on, um, you know, at 8 p.m. every night. And the then, sense of normalcy, right? Yeah. yeah. I think the color palette did that too as totally. well. Yeah. Yeah, Celiana yeah. Cardenas. Yeah. DP. <laughs> and for, for you, Beatrice, as well, in terms of, of the way that you're approaching the lens of, of programming and, and shows that you're developing, um, you know, I've, I've seen you talk a little bit about the idea that every original idea is taking a risk. You know, everybody wants to go out there and make the next Game of Thrones or the next Stranger Things, but that those came from unique places. And so when you're looking at a show like Friend of a Family and, and thinking about the space for that programmatically, um, how are you always looking to shape the shows that you want to develop based on that idea of, I'm not trying to repeat things that other people have done, but I'm really finding stories that are going to connect in very unique ways like this show has. Well, what made it easier in this case was Nick and I had worked together on the act. So I knew that he could take a documentary that, again, gave a lot of the information about the story, but bring us into the heads of the characters and also bring a different take to it and and ask, I think and we had talked about this, but, you know, I think the reason for you to do something that is a documentary or that you're going to adapt from a documentary is that you're going to have, it has to ask questions, right? You have to be able to, to extend beyond the documentary of like, what other questions did this not ask? What are we not knowing? And so knowing that he did that so well with the act and that this was something that was so sensitive and had a lot of, you know, questions about how are we going to do this in a way that, you know, feels right, feels um, true to Jan's story and respectful of her. We, we had a lot of conversations, but I also had the experience knowing that he was able to do this and could do could do it well. To me, with uh, with a true story like we've, you know, we've talked about a bunch of times, it's when there's a true story and we're thinking about, you know, is this um, a, a dramatic adaptation? It's like, uh, I just, it, it needs to ask the questions, how could this have happened and what did it feel like when it happened? And if we really invested in those questions, then to me it's it's worth dramatizing. I mean, in watching the show, it's so clear how much care was taken in every detail and, and every aspect and how the story was told. And so it's really interesting to hear the two of you describe all those elements that went into that. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you.